Before we start, a little disclaimer. This episode is very personal to us, and while working on it, we ourselves were disturbed by some of the content we came across, content that contains language and descriptions of sexual violence and of assault. If you're triggered by this, I would skip this one. On June 28, 2020, a young woman in a moment of rage picks up her phone and starts typing. To all my dear friends, she writes on Instagram and Facebook. The following is a PSA that I feel should be addressed immediately. This man, Ahmed Bassam Zaki, is a sexual predator. And you need to be careful, be wary of this person. And yeah, and to basically just stay clear of him. If you have had any instances with him, you can always come and talk to me. My door is open. Next to her writing, she attached a photo of a young guy. He was wearing a button-up, clean, white shirt and a black blazer. His head is tipped back a bit with a faint smile on his face. The picture is from his graduation day, so he's wearing a graduation cap. The pure intentions of this post was for me to warn other girls that this is the type of person that this is because it is not getting out. This young girl was determined to post what she drafted. A friend who was with her told her to take a deep breath and to really think about what she was about to do. And he warned me of the backlash. He warned me that this was going to blow up, that this was going to... I did not believe him for a second. And sure enough, it did. <laughs> um, sure enough, it did. And it's still very surreal to me. It's very surreal of everything that's happened. And what happened was that the moment the post went up, Egypt's Me Too movement was born. Because not long after that, so many women would come forward and say, Me Too. Shocking allegations against a young American university in Cairo graduate snowballed and now hundreds of female victims are coming forward. We can say that the year 2020 was indeed the hashtag MeToo movement in Egypt. Earlier this month, nearly a hundred women and girls did precisely what they've been hardwired not to do. They accused a man named Ahmed Zaki of some pretty disturbing things. Rape, assault, harassment, blackmail, and intimidation. We realized we actually have a shot at finally getting a serial rapist and predator in jail in Egypt that has money and power. And for the rest of that summer, the summer of 2020, Egypt would experience one of the greatest cultural reckonings the country had seen in decades. Today, the story of the rise and the fall of Egypt's Me Too movement, how it actually happened, and the women leading the charge. We're going to be telling this story in two parts. Today, producers Nadine Shakir and Zena Duidar will take us on a journey they both were very personally affected by, a journey of euphoria and another of pain. I'm Dana Balutz, and this is Kerning Cultures, stories from the Middle East and North Africa and the spaces in between. And one story that always kind of captures my imagination the streets lost culture. And you're listening to Kerning Cultures. Chapter 1 The Reckoning. Hi, my name is Nadine Abdel Hamid. I was the whistleblower for the Ahmed Bassam Zaki case. I'm 23 years old. 
It was months before I could get Nadine Abdelhamid to talk to me. This is our producer, Nadine Shakir. She was really hesitant at first. 18 months had passed since she'd outed her harasser, Ahmed Bassem Zaki, who will sometimes refer to by his initials, ABZ. In those 18 months, a lot had changed for Nadine, and she was naturally apprehensive about journalists and interviews. And then finally, she texts me one day and tells me she's ready to talk. We asked her to start from the top in June of 2020. This is producer Zena Duwidar. I had received a message. It was from someone she didn't know. And as soon as she read the message, an anxious pit opened up in her stomach. The text was like very provocative. And I didn't know who it was. And a couple days later, I found out that it was Ahmed Bassem Zaki that sent me that message. And I had been harassed and blackmailed by this person four years ago. Ahmed Bassem Zaki was the last person she wanted to be contacted by. She and him met in 2016, in the summer before college. At the time, they were both only 18. An acquaintance of mine uh, told me that she has a friend who's trying to expand their circle and whatnot, so they wanted to know if you guys want to talk. Sure, why not? And so we started talking. So Nadine tells Zena and I that they talked for a bit that summer, but that was basically it. Then someone warned her to stay away from him because he had a bad reputation for mistreating girls at school. So she tried to cut him off, but he continued to pursue and stalk her. At one point, he even threatened to kill himself if she didn't stay with him. It was terrible, and he didn't leave it at that. He would disappear and suddenly pop up again in her life, with a ping, a text message to hang out, to drink champagne or smoke weed. She'd decline or ghost him, and eventually she thought he'd forgotten all about her until this one day. I got to school in February 2017, and he would follow me everywhere. Like, on a random school day, I'd be walking out of the library, and he would be following me and tormenting me by, like, saying things, like, out loud in public that were very inappropriate. And to a point where, like, he literally gave me so many panic attacks, like, at uni, you know, like, I'd broken down crying so many times because of this person. I'd felt so unsafe because of this person. So that same guy who gave her panic attacks at university managed to find a way to text her again almost four years later. She was a boiling pot of emotions, of fury and dread. And later that night, she drafted that Facebook post. In cases where victims had spoken up before, they were blamed or worse, not believed and publicly shamed. Here showed nine out of 10 women in Egypt are victims of sexual harassment. It's been documented by organizations like the United Nations and Reuters. Egypt can be a pretty unpleasant and unsafe place for a woman. Tahrir Square in 2011. In the crowds, women were being assaulted, surrounded by groups of men and groped by penetrating hands. And then a man wearing a dirty white coat who called himself a doctor tested us to check if we were virgins. I was shaking and crying without tears and couldn't accept what was happening. When women or girls complain about sexual harassment or assault, are these things just generally dismissed? The girl could possibly plead a case. But every step before that is an absolute nightmare. And for Nadine, all that stuff was playing in the back of her head. In the end, I was like, 
I can't. I can't not. You know, like I. <laughs> it's kind of lame of me to say, but the only thing that was going through my head was a Captain America quote, which was basically, "When the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the world, no, you move." And for me, that really resonated with me for those few minutes, and I was like, "Enough." Enough. Even if I'm the only person saying anything, even if whatever happens, I'm still going to talk about this. I didn't want girls to feel as stupid and ashamed as I felt when I was 18 because of this person. I didn't want them to go through the shame that I did, the the feeling like it was my fault. Uh, and then yeah, we posted it. And- but instead of blame and backlash, Nadine received messages of support from so many people, people who knew people hurt by ABZ and from absolute strangers. And within, like, a couple hours already, 20 people texted me. They were like, yeah, the same thing happened with someone I knew. And then more and more people were telling me it happened with me too, happened with my friend, happened with, like, five of my friends. The post traveled far beyond the few people in Nadine's circle. Messages came pouring in. Countless other girls and women saying they had also been harassed by Ahmed Bassem Zaki and sharing text messages and voice notes that other accounts would share and make public. Eventually, the entire country would be talking about ABZ. Sharing and resharing his secret conversations and exposing his wildest sexual violations and heinous offenses, which would eventually lead to a lawsuit against him. A rare victory that would put a serial predator behind bars. Uh, (laughs) It was... Surreal is definitely the word that comes to mind. It's still surreal to this day. It's still hard to believe till this day. When Nadine made that post on June 28th, it immediately caught the eye of a few people. One of them was Sabah Khudir. Two days before the movement, Um, I was given homework, actually, by my therapist, where the homework was to allow myself to feel outrage without reacting to it. I failed that homework, like, phenomenally. (laughs) Sabah was hitting a slump in her life. She had just moved from Egypt to the U.S., fleeing her own harasser. So I guess my harshest experience is when it happened with um, someone I trusted a lot in my life. And uh, one night um, he had asked me for help and asked me if he could come over to speak because he was kind of like a mess. And I, of course, you know, definitely, you know, invited him to come. And then, yeah, an assault happened that night. And that was, I think, the final straw for me. Um, And that's why I left Egypt. She left behind her entire life in Egypt one where she was just becoming recognized as a writer and advocate for women's rights. So I am Sabah Khudir. This is probably the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my entire life. Unfortunately, most sexual harassment and assault globally happens by people we know in our circles. Journaling is one of my, you know, cathartic things and I couldn't even write and writing is what I've done my whole life since I was five and I couldn't write anything I just remember like I would just start stabbing the notebook I was angry all the time 
And so I was sitting online and I got a message from a girl and it was of a Facebook post uh, of a whistleblower and a victim of Ahmed Bassam Zaki. It was Nadine's Facebook post. What the girl did was really brave because in some way or another, she just called someone out. At this point, Nadine and Sabah had never talked before. But that day, they got on a call and Nadine opened up to her about ABZ's harassment. I got really, really mad and I just took his picture. At the time, I think I had like a few thousand followers, maybe 8,000. And I just took his picture and I circled his face and I wrote rapist on it. Sabah had never met ABZ, but hearing about Nadine's experience made her so angry, she felt like she had to do something. And I just wrote on it, this young man, his name is Ahmed Bassam Zaki, and I wanted to call him out in a bigger platform or like a bigger way because I didn't want him to be shamed only in front of his own direct community. Sabah's post went viral. I, I remember that photo well. She had circled his face with those Instagram doodle tools in orange and red. You could tell the scribbly circles were made in anger. She even captioned the photo with rapist, mutaharrish in Arabic. And that photo was shared everywhere, on Instagram, on Twitter, in friend groups, on Messenger, and even my family WhatsApp group. Uh, and I was really surprised to find out the next morning that his face was everywhere, in, on the news. My phone was blowing up. I had people calling me from all over the country, trying to get me to speak with them. Sabah suddenly became the unofficial spokesperson for the movement, talking to journalists and making television appearances. It all started with a post. I was sitting online and someone sent me a link. Basically trying to push public opinion on the ABZ case. And it was working. I was so surprised when Amr Adib was talking about it. No means no. Amr Adib is one of the most famous Egyptian media personalities. His nightly TV show is watched across the country. I was like, there is no way that this is on the news. Best use of talking about it from the States. All these different people, it was word of mouth, it was the posts, it was everyone trying to get justice for these girls, for all the survivors. At the time, um, most of the messages that were coming my way were about Bassem Zaki. Um, it wasn't just me who was receiving these messages. At that time, we had more than one person with different accounts also receiving messages, also trying to gather information on him. And the one account that would rise to fame is Assault Police. Assault Police started gathering testimonies of women willing to share their assault incidents with ABZ and posted some of them. We are going to play one of those voice notes that ABZ shared with a woman to help put you in our shoes as we experience those events. It's extremely graphic, and although we're beeping some words, this is a strong trigger warning. If you don't want to hear it, skip ahead 30 seconds. Well, if she didn't answer this phone call, I would have gone straight to the system. I know I'm such a but you're a and you're going to get down on your knees and suck my for me to shut up about it. Are you a again or do you want to be a outlaw? And it's right now it is 9.48 at 10.30. I want to answer. Peace. 
Assault Police got super popular. Everyone was following it. The Instagram page was created by Nadine Oshroff, a university student, in a moment of rage over a deleted post outing ABZ in her own school. Even though she was running the page anonymously, Assault Police shot up to over 70,000 Instagram followers in a week. And later on, Nadine eventually would become an international household name for starting and growing the Me Too movement in Egypt and making it to the pages of the New York Times and other international outlets. Zena and I tried to get in touch with Nadine Ashraf from Assault Police for an interview several times during our reporting. Unfortunately, we never heard back. Assault Police posted so many appalling accounts. One that gave me nightmares was a rape incident in a gym in which ABZ paid a security guard to walk away and turn a blind eye. It was a scary time. I remember frantically texting my female friends at the university ABZ used to go to in Egypt. Had he ever spoken to you? Had he ever harassed you? The screenshots and voice notes that were shared online and in the news haunted me. They still do. Chapter 2. The Arrest On July 4th, 2020, a week after Nadine sat down and wrote her post outing ABZ as a harasser, he was arrested. According to the public prosecutor, Ahmed Bassem Zaki was now facing charges of, quote, attempting to have sex with two girls without their consent and indecently assaulting another girl by force, one of which was a minor, as well as threatening and blackmailing other women into sexual intercourse, end quote. The day Ahmed Bassem Zaki was arrested, the NCW, which is the National Council for Women, said that their hotline did not stop ringing and that around 400 more cases of sexual assault were reported. Around the same time, women across social media started speaking up, boldly and like never before, sharing their harassment and assault stories. Social media was literally blowing up. The first time... He touched my boob. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I must have been like 16, 17. I was shocked. I was stuck in there and it was difficult to, to back out. And it keeps getting like denser and denser. And then all of a sudden... So they, you know, were like pinching our bottoms and like like really, you know, aggressively and like laughing. And I, and I was just being groped all over like continuously from different people. Had it been like dark or just me by myself, literally just being followed by this person for I don't know what reason, like that was something that really sat with me. Um, and again, Suddenly, we were all reckoning with our own stories, supporting ourselves and our friends as we unearth and bring to light years of harassment and assault that were either swept under a rug or forced to hide in the deep closets of our minds. And women started to become extremely powerful because they were able to take back the space that was taken from them. The space of, I can now walk in the street, I'm allowed to walk here, by the way. I don't have to walk with my head down. And then women started recording the men that were harassing them, outing them publicly, taking them to police stations. And every time I think about it, I get really emotional because... I think that I lived to see something that was so phenomenal and so astronomical. We were so lucky to live to experience that change. Finally, something had snapped, and women were claiming back a fight we had lost many times over. 
we took back public spaces that were occupied from us and reclaimed our bodies that were constantly threatened and violated. We felt ready to take down a ruthless phenomenon called sexual harassment that had somehow become endemic to an entire culture. But this moment, as overwhelming and monumental as it felt, wasn't the game changer. The fight was nowhere near over, because although ABZ was arrested, it wasn't enough to prosecute him. Now, activists and others in the movement would need to build the case and start gathering legal evidence against ABZ. It was the only way to actually take him to court and sentence him. Chapter 3, The Trial Hi, we had to all collaborate at that time um, to put information together to, to try to check resources. Activists, lawyers, survivors, and anyone who wanted to help work together to gather complaints against ABZ. We had incredible women, people who had their own businesses, then offer services. So psychiatrists were offering their services for free. Very, very strong and powerful women were creating groups and networks where we can somehow create shelters for any of the women who are dealing with their parents refusing to let them go forward and they want to go forward no matter what. It was the first time something like this was happening and they were sort of treading in the dark. We were all doing so much research. We would gather evidence. I'd sit with the girls on the phone for hours, going through old conversations, trying to find any source of evidence, voice notes of threats and voice notes of any type of him kind of exuding any type of violence, him commenting on someone's body disrespectfully. Like when you were talking right now about all of the different things you sort of had to do and how how a group of you were sort of so alone in the process I was thinking how did it feel to have so many different hats on like lawyer hat is on and then psychologist hat is on like dealing with and then therapist hat and counseling to like help the women that are you know coming into your inbox but also activist and posting but also you know like speaking and doing interviews you know how how was it for you personally having to take on so many of these different things at once without the sort of institutional support? Yeah, um, well, uh, well, there was very little sleep. I hardly slept and I hardly ate. Um, and I was driven 24-7 with a lot of passion for this. So I would allow myself to break down and cry when I needed to and get up and do it. Um, because nothing else is more important than this. On July 12th, 2020, Assault Police came out with another post. They said they gathered over 150 sexual harassment testimonies, but that they needed more if they were going to actually prosecute Ahmed Bassem Zaki. You will remain anonymous to the public. Just come forward, the post read. A lot of people did not come forward about what they'd experienced with him. So the 150 posts that Shadi and Sabah and Nadine made, those were just the people that came forward to talk about it. And even fewer came to actually take action. Only six girls eventually came forward to press charges. 
We need to take a step back and remember, women rarely file complaints of sexual harassment globally, but especially in Egypt and the Arab world, because if and when they do, the outcome is nothing short of humiliating and scary. They run the risk of exposing themselves to intense social stigma in a legal system ill-equipped to deal with these types of cases. Egypt's morality or debauchery laws make it easier for police to question women in detail about their sexual history and how they live their lives and essentially turn the case against them. In fact, the first time a sexual harassment law was passed in Egypt was in 2014. And in 2021, sexual harassment went from being tried as a misdemeanor to a felony. And before that, we didn't have um, a sexual harassment law. This is Noor Gohari a lawyer who is involved in many of these cases. And therefore, um, we only had the incitement of debauchery or sexual assault. So then you could only either prove this person is inciting debauchery or this person sexually assaulted me. And sexual assault means he has to touch you. The sexual assault and rape laws have not been changed for years. I think maybe 100 years. Whoa, 100 years? Okay. Uh, does that mean they're very outdated? Yeah, maybe. Noor says the laws were first introduced in the 1937 Penal Code, 85 years ago. Apart from the fact that there were hardly any laws to protect against assault, the culture and social stigma is far more daunting. Victim blaming is common. When women do come out and say they were assaulted, they're almost always shamed for what they were wearing or doing during the time of their attack. Their side of the story gets brought into question. But in a case that was as widely watched as ABZ's, the other major problem was that there weren't any laws in place to shield the identities of the survivors from being leaked to the press or being shared with the public. But in the midst of the movement, something incredible happened. A new law was approved to protect victims' anonymity when they legally came forward to report assault. The Minister of uh, Justice uh, came up with the wording of the, this uh, law. And what it did was that it banned the publication of uh, victims' names as in sexual assault cases and sexual harassment cases and rape. The investigator has the names in a separate file and it can only be shared with the defense team and the judge. But even still, Noor told us that when the ABZ judgment was published, the victims' names were in it. When I received it, I had to carve out their names myself. So the the law was made for this case, but it wasn't implemented? It wasn't posted from the official, on Facebook pages, etc. Their names weren't mentioned. However, in the case docket they were, and in, in the news media outlets, which were maybe not informed about the law, they posted about it. So I've made official complaints. I'm not sure how they ended. But when I saw this, of course, I reported it. When the law was passed, Nadine was the first survivor to break the legal silence and press charges. Your family was supportive of this? They were so supportive. My dad cried. My dad cried and he was, and he's not a crier. Uh, My dad cried and he, he was like, I'm very proud of you and it is your duty to these girls to continue and to persist, which I'm very grateful for because most parents don't do that. Most parents don't do that. My mom was terrified. My mom... Uh, She was worried that he was going to send people to hurt me. And when she went to the prosecutor's office to actually file the complaint, it was a brutal experience. It was basically from like 11 till 5 or 6 of me repeating my story 
over and over and over again. And to the point where I was so anxious that as soon as I left, I fainted right there and then. Like the mental process of going through what happened to you and your traumas over and over and over again, like five times, it isn't easy. And right after that, my lawyers and my therapist advised me to take a break. Honestly, one of the hardest parts was for me to just wait. Uh, and I was scared. I had no idea what was happening. I didn't know what my rights were. I didn't know what laws were going to protect me and what which weren't. And I was so anxious to the point where I went to the supermarket with my family once and I was 100% sure I saw him. And I broke down crying. I was so terrified. And as soon as I blinked, it was a completely different person. But Nadine's struggle was not in vain. We'll tell you what happened right after the break. For four months, Nadine had been waiting to hear back anything, anything at all, about her case. Yeah, so I came back to Cairo and... I waited and waited and waited and waited. And the only time I actually heard something was six months later, around New Year's, when I was told that my case won and we sentenced him to three years and I broke down crying. Ahmed Bassam Zakish Hata, Hakabit al Mahkama Hodorian. That December, specifically December the 29th, 2020, only a few days before the new year, Ahmed Bassem Zaki was sentenced to three years in prison for sexually harassing two women using social media. The court which tried him was specialized in cybercrimes and found ABZ guilty of sending pornographic photographs and texts to the women's phones, and extorting them for sexual favors. Zaina and I are Egyptian ourselves, so we celebrated with everyone else. I think every single woman who had been harassed or assaulted in Egypt. Every woman who's had someone slide into their DMs with inappropriate and unwanted messages. Every woman who's ever had to pretend not to hear cat calls when walking down the street to try and not provoke them further. Every woman who's had to change her clothing before going out to avoid unwanted attention. Who's pretended to be on the phone while walking home alone. Who's pretended to have a boyfriend. Or a brother. Or a father nearby to stop someone from coming on to them. We all celebrated and we all cried. Finally, someone had seen justice. In April of 2021, ABZ was further found guilty of assault and blackmail of three underage girls and received an additional eight years in prison. But that victory in December meant even more to us later on, because there's something else we haven't told you about. Thousands of women were still coming out against their assaulters and harassers. Instagram pages like Assault Police and Catcalls of Cairo were blowing up, and they were posting dozens of testimonies every single day. And while some rapists like ABZ faced justice, other cases took particularly nasty turns. Turns that shed light on the societal backlash Nadine was worried about all along. On July 26, the Salt Police Instagram page had broken another case, a rumor of a gang rape in an upscale hotel that had taken place a few years earlier. The post asked for leads about that terrifying night, a night that would become known in the media as the Fairmount case. In the face of horror, (laughs) 
uh, that was when we realized that we had touched upon something um, in a different case that was way more complicated and corrupt than we had ever imagined. Um, and so at that point, it was every man for themselves. It was a war. It was a legitimate war. And it became very political very quickly. Next week on Kerning Cultures, the final chapter of this story, part two, the aftermath. The impact of the Fairmont rape case on the Me Too movement and the women at the center of it all. This episode was produced and written by Nadine Shakir and Zena Duidad, and edited by me, Dana Balut, and Alex Atek. Fact-checking by Dina Sabri. Bella Ibrahim is our marketing manager. A big and humble thanks to everyone who made this story happen. Sabah Khudir, Noor Gohari, Nadine Abdelhamid, Farah Dusui and Zena Amr, and Nadine Anin.